Let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to RubeCon.com, R-E-W-B-C, com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your Rubicon pass. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed show. My name is Dustin Heiner and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job by investing, by having a side hustle, by being a freelancer in every way possible. And today I am super pumped to bring on someone who is an expert in storage units. And everybody in America, it seems, just about needs storage units and it is a fantastic way to get land, rent it out, and have people not even live there, but their stuff lives there, and you make a lot of money. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's going on? Super pumped as always to have you here with me on the show and you come in week in week out. I am so glad that you're here. Now, what I love personally is real estate investing because let's say you make some money, you have a good job or you have a good freelancing gig or you have a good way to make some money and then you buy real estate and then you park your money in real estate. Now, there's a saying, I love the saying, you don't wait to buy real estate, you buy real estate and then you wait. What happens over time, the values go up. We've seen that easily. Everybody knows that values go up, but then also you make more and more money in rent. Now imagine, instead of having all these homes that have toilets that go bad, electricity, let's say plumbing issues where there's leaking, um, there's roofs and all that stuff that go bad, and you have tenants that might fall and slip, which these are all things that you have to deal with as a landlord. But imagine you can make just as much money. Because I love to tell all of my students, my real estate investing students, we want to make $250 or more in passive income from every single property. And when we do that, we're making enough money to be able to quit our job. Now imagine if you also did not have to worry about the tenants, but you still made the same amount of money. Enter in storage units. You go anywhere, you're going to find storage units all over your city and what is great is you're literally leasing small locations or small little rooms that people just store their stuff in and they almost just put it on clockwork and it just keeps rolling in the dough for you. So if you can think of a way to get rid of like all the liability or just about all the liability and still make money and if the tenant, the person does not pay for their storage unit, you get to auction off all their stuff and you make that money back. How awesome is that for you? Now, I am bringing on a fantastic expert who has invested in thousands of storage units and he's gonna share with us how we can also invest in storage units. And storage units is just one of many, many different ways to invest in real estate. I want you to get started investing in real estate. You need to come to my conference my Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. It's RubeCon for short. It'll be May of 2023, May 4th through the 6th, a three-day in-person conference in Phoenix. And this is not like one of those real estate investor conferences, which you'll find. In fact, like, you know, Grant Cardone, if you ever know of him, or these other conferences where they get these big name speakers like Tim Tebow, or think of any big name. They'll get a big name in there, 
and it'll be all hype and sales pitch, and then they'll say, run to the back and give you thousands of dollars at that booth in the back. It's normally $500,000, but it's $1,000 today or something like that. This is the opposite of that. In fact, I wanted to create something that was so much more about community giving and helping. In fact, I'm bringing my own personal audience for Master Passive Income audience, and hopefully you're coming as well. I'm bringing all of my audience, and I have 43 other real estate investors who are expert investors. I'm bringing them as well. So you need to come to RubeCon this year. Use the promo code podcast. Use the promo code podcast, and you will get 10% off of your ticket if you go to rewbcon.com, rubecon.com. The link will be in the description. Use that promo code podcast so that you can start and come and hang out with us, literally 43 of us expert investors bringing all of our communities together to show you all the great ways to invest. And honestly, I kid you not, we are entering the best time ever to invest in real estate. I am so excited that interest rates are going up because I make more money. I'm so excited that the economy is going to start going into trouble because I'm going to make more money. And I want you to as well. I'm going to be talking about how to make money in a recession, how to capitalize it, even make even more money like the rich do. So you need to come. Come to RubeCon.com. Use that promo code podcast. Now let's jump into today's show where we're going to be talking to a fantastic expert who invests in storage units. And he's going to show us how you can do it as well. All right, here we go. AJ Osborne, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really, really excited about this. I, I'm a, I'm a self-storage nerd. I uh, love all things real estate investing. So I appreciate you having me on. And, and you and I were just you know, talking a little bit offline that we're both investors. That's what we do. And it just yes. so happens that being an investor, we also enjoy helping other people. And I found in life, the more people that I help, the better my life gets and the better other people's lives gets. And so this is just another medium of helping more and more people. So tell me 100%. a little bit about yourself and you, because you started before the 2008 yeah. uh, crash. You've been investing in self-storage. Now you, you're an operator. You have lots and lots of properties. Tell us a little about yourself and what got you started in a storage unit, because most people would not immediately jump right to storage units. In fact, for me, I'd love to do that, but single family is just so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I didn't you know, real estate, funny enough, I actually was not a real fan of um, starting out. So I followed in my dad's footsteps and I sold insurance. So I was an insurance guy. And uh, that was awesome because I was in control of my income, I felt, right? Like my dad grew up in extreme poverty and that took him out of extreme poverty. And it was like, oh, I could be in control of my income and time, right? If I want to make more money, I sold more, right? I didn't have a normal standard paycheck. And I felt like it would, my income potential was unlimited, right? Um, I felt like that turned out to not be true at all, which I'll, I'll get into. But uh, one of the things that um, is bad about that is income fluctuation, right? So the income fluctuation is, is very large when you're in sales and you do not have that repetitive income and also taxes, you're just hammered. So when looking at, I wanted to get something that created wealth, right? We wanted something like that. Uh, I was actually looking at multifamily at the time. That's what I wanted to get to. My dad got a little storage facility. And so he convinced me, let's go do this, which turned out to be a great thing because we're talking circa 2005, six. And uh, so uh, we went to storage with the primary reason that at the, in, until we, a lot of people got to understand when we're talking at this time, um, I know a lot of young people are listening and they're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. At the time, nobody understood, like storage wasn't a staple. This wasn't a real estate asset that people said, I'm going to, that's not how it was, right? Banks didn't even like to lend on storage. It was a weird asset. Um, and they didn't understand it. They thought it was risky. You couldn't get good loans on it. And uh, uh, there was no information. We didn't have, we did not have social media. There was not podcasts and there was no books on storage. So we saw this and we thought, this asset has great cash flow and it operates more like a business than it does a real estate asset. That's what I liked about it. So that's what I liked. It meant that I could improve the revenues, therefore increasing the value. And I come from an active side on the income side, right? And this was, I can actively change the asset and then I can passively own it, right? So I could combine those two things that I didn't get either from one type of real estate and one type of selling or income strategy, right? So we did that um, and it wasn't just all easy, you know, no, no, no. We 
we were learning on what we were doing. We didn't understand how to exercise the full, full potential, um, but we started buying little ones in, in very third tier markets, uh, fourth, fifth tier markets, the names that no one's ever heard of, teeny. And uh, from there, we kept growing it after 2008, around 2010, 11. Um, we went really big into it. Um, we sold our other assets and businesses and uh, went in all into that. And I worked for a big national brokerage company um, that was a publicly traded company. Um, and uh, the whole time I was doing that, it was just to have money to invest, right? I just wanted to keep investing in storage and build our storage company. So me and my dad did that. We both worked for this big national company. We both invested all our money into storage. Um, and I was running the, this big firm. And then out of the blue, one day I became paralyzed um, completely. Just my legs stopped working and um, I became a quadriplegic. I was hooked on life support tubes. I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed all the way up to my eyes and uh, on life support for months and then went to rehab facilities. And I was let go from my job in the hospital. Um, obviously, there was no we didn't even know work. I didn't even know if I was ever going to get out of the bed. Right. Uh, but my income ended just like that. And uh, because I had real estate assets that were passive income, I didn't lose my house. Me and my wife had just had our fourth child. He was, when I went into the hospital, he was like three months, you know, and I didn't worry about, we're going to lose my house. My wife has to leave the kids and her paralyzed husband to go get a job, to pay bills, to live. And that was due to real estate. And that, that moment really changed everything that I was doing. And for obvious reasons, right? I went back home, paralyzed uh, at home. My brother moved in to take care of me with my wife. And then over the last five plus years, I've relearned how to, of course, obviously talk, walk, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I can walk on my own again now, which we didn't think I'd ever be able to do. And my real estate has grown. So when I went into the hospital versus when I came out of the hospital, my income was act, my real estate income was more. It went up. The value went up and I did nothing. Literally, I just lied paralyzed in a bed, uh, hooked to tubes, nothing. And yet income and value still went up. And that when getting out of the hospital, it really lit a fire underneath me. I started multiple companies out of my wheelchair, um, had seven figure exits on them, started syndicating. And my whole mantra became, I'm going to teach and allow others to have an opportunity that I had that, you know, literally saved our financial and well-being and uh, life. And so that's what I've done now for the past, past five plus years is I've focused on real estate investing, teaching others, as well as allowing others to invest alongside us. I definitely, I definitely got to know, like what caused the being paralyzed and then what got you out of that. But then we're going to jump into the real estate investing, yeah. but it just sounds like, oh my goodness, like talk about yeah. not just a setback, that's like life almost ending, if not, you know, yeah. obviously changing. So yeah. we didn't I, know I, if I, I would survive. got to know about that. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't know if we were going to end up pulling the plug or whatnot for a while. Um, so, you know, it's called Guillain-Barre and it's a trigger. So your body gets triggered and your white blood cells. So something happens, your body gets triggered, your white blood cells attack the central nervous system and it cuts off the communications with your brain to your body. And so I had been perfectly fine. And then out of nowhere, my legs stopped working. And then all of a sudden everything stopped working. Um, and so that's what it was. It's called Guillain-Barre. I'd never heard of it before I went in the hospital. It took them a while to figure out what was happening. Um, and yeah, that, that, it almost, you know, almost completely ended me and everything else. I didn't, for most of the, for the, the first long time, I didn't think it was going anywhere. Uh, I didn't even know why they were keeping me alive on tubes. I'm like, let me go. Like, this is not fun. This is painful. Right. I couldn't really communicate. I communicated through plastic sheets and blinking. Yes or no. So that's how I talk to uh, talk to my family. Um, but yeah, that's that's what happened. So it uh, was a little life changing. That's absolutely amazing. And talk about a different perspective that you have. I mean, it's nothing like where you actually have to you, you you're forced to change your perspective. Yeah. I mean, people are just eking out day after day. And you also we we talked offline of like the 
whole system of like our financial, not financial, educational system doesn't teach finance. It doesn't teach anybody how to actively become wealthy. It literally doesn't. In fact, it teaches yeah. opposite. It's really successful yeah. at creating employees. That's literally what it's made for, for the big yes. companies to have employees, which is not bad. Meaning I'd say about 75% of the population should be employees. They're great. They're yeah. geared for that. They're, they're yeah. great personalities, but people like us and people that listen to the, to my show, we're not like that. We are outside the box thinkers. We want to be independent and all that stuff. So man, well, I, am... too, I think it's not even like being an employee or not being an employee. It's about participating in the economy. Like I think every single person should. So whether you're an employee your whole life or not, you should be owning and participating in the economy. So you get the results of it, right? We have a system now that is not only do you work, but the, then you save money and you give that to the system as well. And then they make money off you. And it's like, this whole system means you don't own anything, right? You own a stock, which doesn't mean you really own anything, right? And they take that money that you're investing in the stock, they trade it, people utilize it. And I wanna pause for a quick second and share that honestly, I really want you to invest in real estate. My new goal in my life, my first goal was to quit my job in 10 years, and I did that, accomplished that at 37. Now my new goal is to help 1 million people invest in real estate. So two things I would ask from you, number one, if you get anything out of this episode, please share it with somebody else. Just say, hey, you know, check out Dustin. He really wants to help a million people to invest in real estate. That's number one. Number two, I want to get you to invest in real estate. Get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my course, show you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first. You know, I always talk about that and how to find the right properties, how to make sure you're getting experts to do the work for you and scale the business to where you're making $250 or more in passive income, scale it to quit your job. I'll literally get to you or go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Obviously it'll be in the description, but I really, really want you to invest in real estate because the more that actual normal everyday people own real estate that are good landlords, the better everybody's life gets. So they can make more money and the fund managers make all this money. You have no true ownership. The government doesn't look at it like you have true ownership, right? And that's how we're told that it's supposed to work. And that is actually not how it works at all. So then you have millions upon millions, the vast majority of the population that does not participate in the upside of the economy. And that is devastating on everyone. It is. It is. I find that the more people that I help to buy and own investment properties and real estate, the better their lives gets, as well as we also help other people that need to rent a good place and, yeah. and have a good place to live. Same thing with self-storage. Okay. So- I would love to get into self-storage. I think it's a fantastic sure. opportunity. So let's talk about it. If we were, now let's say somebody off the street, because more than likely somebody listening isn't already an investor. They might be, but they might not be at the same time. So if we're going to get started, let's say we want to just get started in general. We know we need a few things. We need a property. We need money to buy the property and any way to manage that property. Like we need a fulfillment. We need a sales. We need all that sort of stuff. But with that, What's the first part? Like, where, where do we start in all of this? Yeah. So self-storage is a different animal. That's the first thing you need to realize, okay? Um, there is a lot of misconceptions on what storage is and what it does. So don't apply, I think, traditional knowledge of real estate to self-storage because it just doesn't work. So when you're looking at self-storage, I think you need to reframe your idea of the asset, what makes it work, why it's good. And that can help you understand the basics, will help you find opportunity, right? And, and move forward. Uh, there's a few things that self-storage is heavily dictated by, okay? The worst thing to under, understand the success of storage, you have to understand, I think primarily it's downfall. And to keep it very, very simple, um, self-storage, the number one threat to self-storage is self-storage. So self-storage, uh, is one of the easiest assets to oversupply a market with, okay? So if you have an apartment building and you build 300 apartment units, what's that gonna cost? Like, what do you think it would cost you to in Phoenix to build 300 apartment units? Well, we're probably looking at uh, probably $70,000 a door. So whatever that comes out, maybe maybe 100,000, I don't, I don't really know. But yeah. you're looking at, yeah, you're looking at quite a bit. Yeah, right? I mean, you're sitting here going, Okay, this is, <laughs> you know, massive amounts of money. You're 50 plus million, right? 
Uh, storage, you can do it on a few million. And so that allows the asset to have lower barriers of entry and people oversupply the markets, which drive down rates, right? And increase vacancy. So the first thing you need to understand about storage is it's very sensitive to supply demand. It's also hyper-local, hyper-local, three mile radius, right? I mean, I can be in a metro area. Phoenix is so big that it's like you have like a hundred or 200 markets within your one market for self-storage. So supply demand, hyper-localized, right? And it's a business. So you have the market and the operations are pretty much the only thing that matters in self-storage. And uh, you operate it like a business, meaning more like a retail center. So I always said self-storage isn't real estate. It's a business. We set it up. We run it like retail. We have people coming in and out. We're looking at how much we're selling, different products. So we have different size of doors. I view those as products. We don't even call them units. I say these are products and we do product market fit. Why? Because someone that wants a five by five climate controlled is not the same person that wants an RV storage or a 10 by 20. They're not the same thing, right? And too many people, they treat it like doors. I mean, they're all using them the same. It's real estate, right? You're just renting out things. That is not how it works in storage. So I think if you understand that premise right there, sensitive to supply and demand, very, very hyper-focused, market means everything, and operate it like a business, right? You have the base work to figure out how do I come into this business, right? Because operating like a business stuff doesn't mean you have to. That's the number one thing, right? It's just understanding. So then I say, if I'm having somebody else operate it, what makes them good or what makes them bad? right? So understanding it, then you can apply it to make it work at whatever level you want. How active do you want to be? How active do you not want to be? I personally love not being active at all. In fact, mm -hmm. I love passive income. That's something yeah. that either the investments that I buy, the businesses that I create as best I can, I try to make them as passive awesome. as possible in my time. And with that, so I, I love the perspective that you're talking now, because everybody in the audience knows that I, even though I'm a, I'm an investor, that's literally what I am. I'm a business owner. So as a business owner, I, oh, my business owns properties. My properties are my inventory that I put into my business. And so I run it like a business. A lot of people, actually, when I first got started, I was listening to the quote unquote gurus. They were telling you how to do all this sort of stuff. And they said, you buy one property, that property is your business. And I did it and it was horrible. I did everything wrong. Then I figured out, no, I have a business. Then I build the business first and then I buy the inventory and put that into the business. That's what made it so it's as passive as possible. In fact, I literally, I don't work uh, more than, let's say, well, a lot of people heard the book, The 4-Hour Work Week. That's a good yeah. book and all, but I don't want to work four hours a week. I think that working four hours a week is for suckers. I don't want to work four hours a month. I maybe yeah. work 30 minutes a month on all my properties because I have other people do yeah, the work. Same thing with yeah, other businesses. So uh, they're all passive income. So I love that perspective. Now, we have that now perspective. Like we have a product. We have something that people are going to be renting, but then obviously it's a product. It's part of our inventory. With that would it be best to find something that's already built and already producing an income or would it be better to buy a land? Like we have like a friend of mine, Seth, he, um, he, you were on his show, Seth Williams of RE Tipster. He actually is, is a good friend of mine and he bought land and he's building it all and everything like that. He says it's the best use of the, the space and he really wanted to get into it. What are your thoughts? Is it better to buy something that's already there or build from scratch? So um, two thoughts on that. Uh, there, okay. So there is inherent risk with developments, right? Because there's no future income, all that kind of stuff. Does that mean that they are more risky though than buying an existing asset? Well, for the last two years, most of the markets that we were looking at, it was actually riskier to buy an existing asset than to build a new one because it was so expensive that the price per square foot was you know, four times what it cost to even build one. We could build them at 50 bucks a square foot and they were selling for 200. So all of a sudden you look at that and you go, if I buy it up there, I have all this debt risk. And also we're buying at a point in the market where the, the downside is way more likely than the upside. So now you're just paying a high amount for the downside to happen. So when we look at it, I don't look at it quite like which one and how you should uh, because of that. They're two different plays. But 
starting out, if you have no experience in it, things like that, I generally would say it's probably better to buy a cash flowing existing one. Why? For two reasons. For first and foremost, because then you can learn the business of storage. If you go build one and you don't understand it, you don't know what products to give the market, right? So you may get it wrong. And I've seen this. I bought a storage facility from a guy that built a storage facility and he was at 60% occupied. And he just thought that there was no need and he was the lowest rents too at 60% occupied. Well, we purchased it and really what it was, was he just did had the wrong products. So all I did is I went and uh, moved walls and we expanded doors and we changed the product type and we doubled rents and had it at 90 plus percent occupied six months later. So it wasn't that there was no demand. It wasn't that he got the location wrong, anything else like that, just the individual product. So if you don't know, you can build it and miss the market. The second thing is financing, okay? Getting investors and financing on a deal that doesn't exist is harder. That's hard for me when we're doing our, we've got a lot, I'm developing 900,000 net rentable square feet currently at this moment. And that is hard for investors and banks to really get a hold of and wrap their mind. Why? There's nothing to measure. So the value is a future value that I know and understand, and I can see the risks, but if they don't know it, it's hard to pass on. Those two reasons, I would generally say it's probably better to buy an existing cash flowing one. So first, you can learn, understand the business, and second, so you can get investors and you can get banks and financial part partners on board. That's kind of my thought on that. No, that's great. No, I, I fully appreciate it, especially getting that idea of, because um, one of my students that I coach, he was looking to buy a uh, storage unit. And I was thinking, because he needed some money, I was thinking, man, I'd probably go in with you on it. But they were asking so much. Like there wasn't, like, it wasn't even like a small or even break even. It was, we would lose money every single month if we would buy it. I'm like, this is just dumb. We don't do yep. that. We're, we're investors. We're business owners. You would not buy so overblown the last three years. In fact, I made a whole YouTube video and I did a thread on the, what I called the self-storage bubble. Now, people are like, oh, so you're anti-storage. And I'm like, no, I'm not, not at all. In fact, I'm buying it mass. And I mean, this, this coming year, we'll probably buy almost 2 million net rentable square feet. So we have over 300 million in assets. And in the next two years, we're going to cross the billion dollar mark in storage. So just because you're critical of an asset doesn't mean you're anti it, right? And that actually means you're realistic and you can understand where the opportunity is. If you don't know where the, if you can't identify downside, you don't know where there's upside. And I really, really sincerely mean that. And what happened with self-storage was self-storage because of COVID and the great recession, it was propped up as this, right? Just end all be all. And everyone started to ignore risks. That doesn't make sense, right? And uh, then that pressed prices way up. I mean, you're seeing rural areas that were trading in five caps. Now, the great thing about today, everybody is that's gone. So the in increased rents of tennis, and I tell everyone this, we are now at the best period to get into and start in self storage than we have been in years, like years. And the reason being is the craze that went on of everybody just trying to get self storage and trying to buy self storage interest rates killed a lot of that. Is it still hot? Yes. But we're returning to more of a normal. Well, if you're a new investor, it's really hard to compete with all these people that are just willing to write blank checks because you can't make that work and nor should you try, right? I don't make that work even if I could. Uh, so it's not smart. So that means there's going to be less demand to buy them. That means we now have sellers that or buyers that have the power where sellers that like you're saying, they're throwing out crazy numbers and everybody's thinking, what, what is, what's going on? What are you doing? And then somebody goes and buys it for it, right? And that creates bad habits in sellers. Now they think that the market will forever do that. And we're now going into a market cycle, everybody, that you can get into it and have real discussions with sellers. You can talk about value, pricing, financing, right? Uh, you know, seven months ago, there was 60 day closes it was, I mean, you're competing all cash. Um, not only was there no discussion on. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Price, it was, the price was going up, right? Uh, so that's really, really hard to get into industries when it's like that. And it can be scary for a new investor. And so everybody, good news. We're not there now. That's, that's changed dramatically. And we're seeing a lot, lot more. There's still sellers that haven't caught on, right? They're still throwing things out. Like we had a, we had a, we had a, a deal that we were literally looking at this morning. The seller was at 18 million. And we're like, yeah, we're at nine. Like we're not even close. <laughs> no one's paying that amount. You know? So there are laggers and everything out there. But for the most part, right, sellers are now coming back down to earth. And that's good news for all of us. Well, and so that's literally the exact same thing in all areas of that I've seen in real estate investing, especially for residential. What I oh yeah, single in. family homes like out here in Idaho, dude. I'm I'm in Boise, Idaho, so like it. I've never seen anything like it. And and two, I was here during the craze, which I, Idaho was one of the biggest boom markets prior to '08, and we had we our real estate prices here. I mean, they were doubling every two years. It was, and, and so as someone trying to get a home or get investment property, cash flow is now gone, right? Even just getting a home, it's difficult because here in Boise, Idaho, we have limited supply. We don't have, we have 800,000 people that live here, right? In, in the Treasure Valley market, the Boise market. So there's already limited supply of homes. They need to build homes for those people to buy. And that makes prices go crazy. And we're now seeing that uh, soften. And that's, yeah, same thing. Good news. Like I, if you're looking to buy investment properties in Idaho, you know, you are so much better today than you were six months ago. It's not even funny. Same, yeah, same here in Phoenix. Now, if we're going to find, and we know that we want to start with a property that's already built, already yeah. cash flowing, how do we then find the properties? The next question will be how do we finance yeah. it? Because we got to find it, then finance yes. it. But how do we find it? But at the same time, we need to know that we can manage it and make money from that. So hopefully there's some management already inside there. But anyways, how do we first, by finding these properties? Yeah. So the, the thing that you need to be in storage is very specific. Okay. So uh, you need, like when you're working with brokers and you know, this is true with all real estate. It, if you go to a broker and say, Hey, I want a good deal. That, that doesn't mean anything. That, they're like, okay, I don't, I don't even understand that. Right. And so when you're dealing in storage, you may want to say, all right, I need something. I'm starting out, so I want something smaller, right? Maybe 30,000 square feet. Now, 30,000 square feet in multifamily, that sounds like, holy cow, that's a big deal, right? In storage, that's not nearly as big of a deal. So 30,000 square feet, right? I want it in an area that hasn't had anything new built in the last two years and nothing new is coming on the market, right? And I want it from like a mom and pop. I don't want institutional great managers. Then the next thing you may say is, I want it in an area where a third party can manage it, right? That's very specific on what you want. When you get specific like that, brokers can now actually find product for you. They can make about because brokers are market makers, right? I have a buyer and a seller. All I'm doing is making a market. But if you don't, if you're not very specific, there's no market to have. They can't make a market for you. So that's the first thing. The second thing is identifying assets that are already existing. So let's say you live in a town where you want to get into self-storage, but you want to be close to you. Then you need to go look and find all of the owners that are in the market, right? And then you need to look at the, those facilities. Generally speaking, you should look for something that is not a REIT, is not institutional, isn't a big fund. Why? Because they have a lot of resources. 
and they're probably operating it at a huge uh, capacity, right? They're doing really, really good. And you're going to buy it and then you'll have downside on it. So find mom and pops, right? In that market. Then I'm a big fan of shaking hands. So I did this all the time when we got started. I would go meet them. And I'm not throwing out something like, do you want to sell your facility now? No, because I, what you want to do is make sure that no's aren't outcomes. So when you start out, the moment you ask a storage facility person, hey, will you sell me your facility? We have been trained just no. I don't even care. That, that person may be a seller. They're still going to say no because it's just so obnoxious. They get it so much time. So instead say, hey, you're in self-storage. I'd love to know more about that asset class. I'm going to take you out to coffee and just learn about you know, what you do and how you've been successful in it because everybody wants to talk about themselves and everybody's happy to talk about people that think that they're successful. It's human nature, right? So when I did that, I would get on the phone and I could talk with storage operators all day long. I had no problem. And then at the end of the conversation, I don't ask them, right? Will you sell me your asset? Instead, I do this. Do you know any operators in, in this market that would sell me their asset? Because now they can say, well, I might, would you like to buy mine? So if they're a seller, that's going to come out or they're going to give you a lead. If not, you built a relationship. These are long-term games. Okay. A lot of people, it, it, this is not like single family homes. They are not everywhere. Right? So the volume of transactions is lower. Although in storage, there are more storage facilities than there are Starbucks, McDonald's, like all this combined. So there's lots of them, but it's not, it not like it is with single family homes. So those, you need to build relationships and create a pipeline and you shouldn't expect it to just happen overnight, right? Get learning, get building relationships, start working with brokers so that you can start to increase a pipeline of deals organically, simply that you're not spending all your life on and that you're not always saying no to, right? And that process will allow you to learn about the industry and learn about deals along the way, which will help you hone in on the ones that you want. From that, how do you then finance the property? Because it's going to yes. cost, let's say, two, three, five million, or it's more than like a you know hundred thousand dollars single family home, or you know two hundred, even a two hundred thousand dollar one, or five hundred thousand dollars. So with that, how do we finance it? Do we need a big down payment? Do we get commercial loans? Do we try to get private money, get, start a fund? Yeah. So the short answer is all of the above. But I think you, first we need to break, let's break this down. Storage is different than other assets. You you generally need a lot down. So banks want to see, you know, we're putting 30, 35% down on all our assets. And uh, um, uh, that's because we don't have long-term leases. Okay. So the best thing about storage is short-term leases. Uh, but for financing, that's the worst thing in the world, right? Because there's no, I don't, what if everybody moved out tomorrow? That doesn't happen, but that's how you look at the financing because of the contractual nature of the revenue. There is none. So the banks want to see a good amount down. Now, Storage facilities, you would actually be surprised. There's a lot out there that are like $500,000, $300,000. So I had a storage facility that we brought to um, uh, one of the people that's uh, in my group. It was $150,000 in Colorado and seller financed. So they didn't, I think they ended up not putting anything even down to it because it's a smaller storage facility, right? So I think a lot of people feel intimidated by storage because they, they see these ginormous ones, they see all this, right? Which there are, those are the kind that I own, right? They're, you know, 15, $25 million, but there's all these facilities that have 50 units that are worth $300,000. When you look at it that way, all of a sudden you go, well, I could buy a duplex for $500,000 with two doors, or I could buy 50 doors with 500,000 and that's diversified risk and I can uh, rise, raise my income, right? So there are those out there. Now, if you're financing it though, first and foremost with banks, they're gonna want 35% down and it's gonna go into a commercial loan. Commercial loans are more concerned about the asset and the business plan than they are about the person. So if you go and just say, hey, I want a loan, I don't have any plan, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out, that doesn't work. Even if you have good income, because they're gonna go, I don't care. Right? So you could qualify for a $500,000 home and you may not qualify for a $500,000 storage facility. So don't approach it like you should just give me money right? because I have an income. Instead, approach it, I have a business plan and this is what I'm looking at. right? And then you put that forth and also I have good income. So if anything happened, I could cover it. Right? That's, that's a good thing to do. 
or you go and get investors and you get the third party operator to come with you to create this business plan. Now there's companies that do, uh, small business loans are great. SBAs are awesome for storage. There's a company called Live Oak Bank. They do, they're huge. They have the underwriting capabilities uh, for the government and they do storage facilities, right? Now you can put little down. Now you're down to like 10% and they specialize in people that maybe haven't been in it. But my favorite way hands down is seller financing. And right now we're doing a lot of seller financing deals and we can do seller financing and put little, if anything, into the deal or we'll assume the current loan that's existing. Now, the good things about uh, commercial loans are they're more concerned with the asset. You can also make them non-recourse. The bad things are you're talking about a 10-year loan. We'll get uh, you know, 20, 25-year AM, um, but it's a shorter-term loan, right? And they're going to have things like prepayment penalties, which you don't want, you want to get rid of. Uh, they're going to look at a lot more. So it's not as simple. Like a commercial loan, right? is more in, more in depth and you don't get that 30 year loan, which actually is not bad for commercial real estate and how it works. Uh, so there are some pros and cons to financing, but the biggest pro is that when you look at commercial real estate, it's an asset, it's not a home. So everybody looking at it cares about like an asset. So investors wanna invest in commercial assets because that's what they are. The value is predicated on how much money it makes you, not anything else. It's not what you want, it's not, it, it's just how much money it makes you. So then you can show investors, we're going to make this much money. So come with me. We can put a down payment on this asset. We can get a small business loan. We can get seller financing. We can get a commercial loan. And we have a third-party manager. And you can get a good third-party manager to come in to do all the work. The third-party manager will also, most of the time, help you build out a business plan that you can present to get financing. That is terrific. And with that, is it any normal bank? Live Oak Bank, I, I definitely need everybody needs to uh, take note of that. But then at the same time, is it any any bank, like any big institution, or is it better to go like to a local? It's credit better union? to go to local. Look, credit unions and local banks are way way better. Why? Because I'm assuming that you're not buying right out of the gates huge tens of millions dollar assets, right? And when you get into smaller assets, which the typical storage facility, like across the board, is probably like five million maybe six or 7 million, right? The big boys, like the ones that lots of times we get into, they are huge. I mean, you're talking about, you get to 20 plus million, you're at the most expensive in storage. It doesn't scale like apartments and other things do as far as cost goes, okay? So when you look at it uh, that way, generally speaking, local banks, credit unions, they need to, first of all, they need to deploy the capital within their region. So they're not as sensitive of it being a smaller population, things like that, right? Credit unions understand where they're at. They need to deploy it. They don't have all these fees. They don't have a lot of that stuff and they're willing to work with you. So we, I mean, I'm, at this point, it's either the credit unions, local banks on all our assets, um, except for the ones that are non-recourse. And then those are with institutional banks, but they only manage it. So if you go to a non-recourse loan, the loan is, I don't know anything on it. So for my portfolio, 90% of all my assets are non-recourse, which means if they fail, they don't get to come after me to get it. Now, in that, uh, in that case, the actual holder of the loan are bonds. So the bonds that you buy on the bond market, right? Like probably have my debt in it. And so it's the bond holders. The big banks are just the administrators of the docs on the loan. And so it's not like you, we, they are the loan holder. It's, it's a different thing. So outside that, all my assets are credit unions or local banks. I love that. That's fantastic. I also just point to local, local as much as you can. Yes, Absolutely. 100%. So now I want to jump into what makes me more excited. So the reason why I ask with the, you know, finance or finding and then financing, that's usually where people go to. That's their first brain yes. where, they, where they go to in thinking. But for me, I first jumped to, how are we going to manage this business? Because if I live, I don't want to move to where I don't want to live in that apartment or the, the uh, storage unit. I don't want to be a, yep. a self-proprietor, sole proprietor. I want to be able to invest anywhere in the country. How do we manage a self-storage unit and how do we build that either team or hire the right employees and people in the business? So, and, and you hit it right on. You either, you have two options, third-party management or self-management. Now, 
I have, um, I self-manage everything that I do. Um, I have over 80 employees. We operate these things. And the main reason that I did was because I had to. So when I got started, there was no third-party management. It was, if you want to own it, you have to do it. Now, at first, that was hard. It ended up being our greatest superpower and strength later on. But if I was starting over again today, I don't know that I would do that because it does take a lot of work, right? And it is more like an operational business. Now, there's ways that you can streamline it, everything else like that. Automation is a big play in storage right now. I own tech companies in the storage space. I'm also a founding member of the largest co-op in the world of self-storage. So we work on bringing resources together for small independent operators to strengthen their overall position and make them be able to compete against national uh, big firms. So we take the big stuff of the firms and bring it down to the individual operators. And when we look at what it takes to manage it, right, it's really at this point, you have the physical asset, but you have the uh, physical asset and location, you have the online game. We do not have as stringent laws like other real estate or contracts that are tenant friendly, right? We can kick tenants out. Those are called lien laws and every state is different. Generally, it's like 30 days. And if they don't leave, we auction all their stuff out, sweep it out and put a new person in. So it, we're way more lenient in that place. Where you lose though, is if you're not refilling the facility. So storage, right, is not something you don't go, live in a storage for the rest of your life. Like you don't, that's not right. People use it for a reason. Our average tenant probably stays 12 months. So you do need to be refilling it. And that's one of the greatest strengths that you need to look at when you're dealing with third-party managers. So how are you going to control cost? But how are you going to get new people in? Why? Because getting new people in allows you to do things like revenue management and rate management, right? I have a facility that we increased. We bought it almost exactly a year ago in December we increased the overall rental rate per square feet of, I think it was 19%. So if you look at the rental rates, right, went up 19%. My revenue is at 65% higher gross revenue than it was when I bought it a year ago, even though I only raised rents 19%. And that is because we're maximizing the asset through things like um, revenue management, dynamic pricing, we do that, which is like airlines do where our rates and everything are always changing, but just running a good shop, getting rid of delinquencies, not allowing people to not pay and to pay discounts forever. Right. So doing those things, it has a massive effect on your revenue. Incredible. And it shows how like 63% gross revenue increase versus a 19% in overall rate increases on a per square foot basis. That divergent to a lot of people doesn't make sense because that would be very hard to do in other kinds of real estate, right? It's like, well, now hold on here. If you're charging this much, how do you right, get, that's one of the benefits of storage. So you need to look at managers that can operate it well, that can maximize the revenue, get people in so they can do that, right? Find the best tenants and really optimize it. That same asset in that same period of time, I lost 15% of the occupancy. So I raised revenue by 63% in one year and I lost 15% of the tenants. And I only increased rates by 19%. It's a cool thing, but you need to make sure that people can do it. And it's it's similar to multifamily, like 100, 200 unit apartment complexes. Let's say it's 70% occupied. It's not actually taken care of. And they come in and they add, they call it value add, you know, make it yes. better so that they can charge more, keep, keep people... Yes. Get people out that shouldn't be in there. Get the right people in there that should. Uh, yes. I, I love that. Now, if if we're going to, I I love having third party um, uh, managers for all my properties. In fact, just hire property managers because there are lots and lots of single family home property managers. They're they're yeah. great. It doesn't seem like there are that many third party. Um, no, there's not uh, storage Storch. units. So if we're gonna build our own, is it putting an ad out there? Hey, I'm hiring employees for this business. How do we do that? Yeah. So how. Um, how we did it is there's a few functions that you really need to get. Luckily, there's a lot of the functions though you can you you farm out. So like you know I don't do my own marketing. I have a self storage marketing company that brings in new people. I have a call center that answers all the call centers after. So I have vendors that do certain functions. Now I may have an employee on site because our assets are very very large 
that then we have to train them and we have to do everything. But other sites don't. It's moved all electronically and you're automating that facility. You need somebody that will go on site to check locks. You need to sweep out vacant units. You need to get people out. You need to put auctions, right? You need to make sure the physical asset is okay. Um, but other than that, right, you can have somebody maybe visit it twice a week and then you can run it all pretty much online outside that. And uh, that's one of the things that like my tech company does that we started for this specific reason. And so when you look at what you need, the employees that you would need is you would need to hire, maybe contract out with somebody local that can go and say, all right, if somebody moves out, I need you to go sweep out the unit, get it ready for the next person to come, right? Or if we're needing to host an auction and somebody needs to be let in and you got to kick it out, like something on site that they need to do. You can contract out with somebody local to do it. Then you get third parties to help you with marketing. You can get third parties to help you answer the phone. They can do website stuff. And then you need somebody that it's either you or somebody else that will do basically general admin stuff and uh, working with those third parties. So you can do it really optimally using other people, even though you don't know how, and yet you're still self-managing. That's not third-party management. You're still doing it yourself. That, that's terrific. Now, if we were to buy, let's say, a, you know, 300, 400, $500,000 yeah. um, unit, how many yeah. employees like would we like literally need to be there on either on site or basically touching it? None. If you, if you've got a hundred unit facility, you don't need anyone on site. So we, we don't need that anymore, which makes it really optimal. Um, we get, you need somebody that's contracted to go to the site. So if there's an issue, I need somebody to get to the site. I need somebody to get, kick out um, people to vacant units to clean it out, get it ready for somebody else. There's going to be gate issues, right? Somebody's going to run into a site. I need somebody that can go to the site. It's real estate, right? So there's no such thing as what you know. people think, oh, automation, it's like an ATM, right? This is real estate. That's not how this works, okay? So you do need somebody. It's, there's no such thing as manless. There needs to be people, right? It sounds like just one person should be able to handle Absolutely. That you can totally do it by yourself. Like, and this is not difficult because you're talking about storage, right? Let's say you're out of town for two weeks and somebody left and you don't have the unit swept out. So, right? You, you know have, what I mean? Like, let's say you have 99 happen? other units that are still being rented. Exactly. You're like, ah, I'll get around to it. So it's, it's very easy for an individual to do this because you're farming out a lot of that other work. Two, we do our auctions online. So our auctions are all across our entire portfolio done online. They're not even done there. So all they do is go open it up. They take a picture of the unit, right? So if somebody goes up, takes a picture, uploads it online, it goes on to auction. Everybody online auctions it. The person that wins, they have to go get the stuff. They have to clean it out. Wait, 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 wait. So AJ, you're telling me that Storage Wars is a lie. It's lied to me about this whole the TV show. <laughs> vast majority of Storage Wars are happening online with clicks of the buttons, yes. Wow, that's... That's phenomenal. That's so much more automated. I, I just love that business model. That's why I love passive income is trying to figure yes. out how we can make it as passive. Now, other people would be working. I love paying other yeah. people to do the work. Yeah. And they're happy to get the paycheck time. to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now there's, okay, there, there is literally so much more that in my brain that I want to ask. But before we get into anything else, I want to know, is there anything else that we need to know that I didn't ask that I should have asked? So I really can't emphasize, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Self-storage is run, dictated, and survives on demand. And if you are in an oversupplied market, like, so I always say a poor operator can make a ton of money in a tight market, but the best operator in the world will fail in an oversupplied market. And so if you, like I tell everybody, if you, if you just make sure that there's high demand, you'll be successful even if you don't want to be, right? Now, if you go into a market that is poor, there's vacancies and there's not demand, the odds of, it, it, it's just, that's really, really hard to make work. And that, I, I like the simplicity about that. So I, I call it my margin of stupidity, right? So I have to build in every time I buy something, my margin of stupidity, which means even if I'm an idiot, which I can be, I'm still going to be successful. I'm not risking the dice here that I have to be incredibly smart or talented because that's a bad bet for me. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just like, hey, let's, <laughs> let's make sure that no matter what, 
that we're going to be okay and successful. Then from there, optimizing it, everything else like that, that's the cherry on the top and we can, we can yield it. I just want to make sure that there's actual demand and everything there to support me. That's terrific. I never would have really considered the demand. I just figured, okay, there's a bunch of people living in the area. Let's go ahead and put a, no, you need yeah, That's that. not how it works. It is, it's not, if you build it and they will come. And that's the danger because people, people believe that. So you could have a developer in town that they go and they're like, oh, well, I don't know what to do with this land. So I'm just going to build 500 units on it. Well, there may be only be demand for 50 units. Now, all the rest of the facilities in town, you just oversupplied the market by 2x the amount. And everybody's like, now prices just drop and vacancy goes up. And unless you have new people moving into that town all the time, where's that demand coming from? That's a good point. Man, I have so many more questions like, how do you do the valuation? How do you discount? Like, so there's so many more, but everybody needs to check out your podcast. And I want to wrap it up by asking, how can people find you? They definitely need to be checking out your podcast because storage is going to be such a great investment in the next, yes. let's say, five, five, maybe even 10 years. Oh, so absolutely. how can people find you online? Yeah. Self-Storage Income is the podcast. It's the number one self-storage podcast in the world. Go check it out. We go in-depth. We talk about all this kind of stuff. AJ Osborne on Instagram. You can also go to selfstorageincome.com. We do YouTube videos. I do podcasts. We hold the largest private event um, on self-storage. So we are really, really into the self-storage industry. We are owners, operators, developers. I own actual infrastructure in the industry as far as technology co-ops. And we're really trying to make sure that, you know, people that are coming in the industry, they're successful because what I just described earlier on, if somebody goes and develops 500 units, right, it destroys the whole market. In self-storage, a rising tide lifts all ships. So if I'm in a market and my competitor is failing, that doesn't mean I'm doing good. I have zero incentive for people to fail. And the better everybody does, that means I get to consistently lift up prices. That means my assets will perform better. Very big on it. Check out all our information. Anything you want to learn about on self-storage, we've got. Love it. Love it. AJ, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It was fun, dude. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses, group coaching with me, and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. So you can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B, by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw. Everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya.
let's make this year your best real estate investing year ever by coming to the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. And the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is where you can join hundreds of real estate investors and over 40 expert investor speakers and learn how to have an amazing success in your real estate investing business. The Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference is not like any other conference out there. This is a no sales pitch conference where the entire three days event is all about you and helping you to meet expert investors, teaching you how to invest and join a huge community of hundreds of like-minded real estate investors. And because you are a part of the Successfully Unemployed podcast, I'm giving you 20% off your RubeCon pass. That's right. Get 20% off of your RubeCon pass. Use the promo code SU20 or SU20. You need to be at the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. Join us in the heart of downtown St. Louis, March 14th through the 16th for a transformative three-day event that's more than just a conference. It's a community of investors. Get your pass. Go to rubcon.com, R-E-W-B-C-O-N.com and use the promo code SU20 or SU20 to get 20% off of your Rubicon pass.